everybody. Welcome to Red Carpet Healthcare Solutions. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Molly, founder, CEO of Whole Health Orthopedic Institute, a private practice orthopedic multi-specialty group located in Northwest Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my co-host, Travis Bazell, also from Northwest Pennsylvania. I'm the co-owner of a local DME company specializing um, primarily in um, orthopedic bracing and adjunct therapies post-operatively. Um, also, on the other side of the business, we own a company called TNT Medical, uh, primarily focusing in consulting for practices, manufacturers, um, various companies looking to connect with key opinion leaders, um, you know, in their various markets and their, um, you know, various fields. And we also are a distribution entity for a number of um, various implant companies, um, surgical instruments, biologics, those sort of things. So. All things kind of healthcare, we kind of full, cover the full gamut there. So, yeah, and red carpet healthcare solutions. I mean, what is it? Our main goal is really to help inspire and educate those out there, whether they're physicians, mid-level providers, healthcare industry people, on the successes and how to be successful, particularly in private practice, because uh, we've heard that pendulum that's swinging towards hospital employment and has been for the past decade plus. And you know, the second half of my career, one of my main goals is to help. Um, encourage and inspire and educate those that are looking to maybe break away from what most people are doing with hospital employment models and, and really realize that there are other opportunities out there with private practice. And how do you do that? How do you be successful? So um, I don't think we could have picked a better guest for episode one. Uh, this individual is especially um, special to me. Um, I, I can't thank this individual enough for what he um, has helped to uh, kind of inspire me with and uh, educate me with not only on what I do on a daily basis, but kind of the business behind it too. And um, I'm a very, very detail oriented guy. And maybe he didn't realize, but during that year I was watching, I was listening um, everything that he did, every move he made. I was, I was a very, uh, you know, in tune student. So without further ado, Dr. Adolph Lombardi. So Dr. Lombardi, thank you for joining Welcome. us. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me here this evening. My name is Adolph Lombardi. I'm an orthopedic surgeon practicing uh, in Columbus, Ohio. I've been here uh, practicing since 1987, July of 87. I trained uh, in orthopedics at Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. Finished that training in uh, 1986. In the last six months of 86, I spent with uh, my uh, former partner, uh, uh, Dr. Tom Mallory. And then I went on and I did another fellowship uh, with Dr. Gerald Ang in the uh, Washington area. And so uh, I wanted to specialize in joint replacement. I thought I was going to go back to Philadelphia, uh, but Dr. Mallory asked me to join his practice. Uh, and uh, I've never regretted joining his practice. I joined, as I say, in July of 87. So I've been in practice uh, almost 40 years now, same location. Uh, it's been a thriving, wonderful great practice dedicated to adult reconstruction of the hip and knee. And so I, like Ryan, uh, love the practice, private practice world. I think it's where we all should be. I think we went into medicine because we have a certain personality, um, and especially in orthopedics. And I think that personality is that we are geared to self-direct and to every day want to make decisions that we feel are best for ourselves and for our patients. And that, uh, my friends, is the key to success. 
Wow. I guess we could end the podcast now, but um, <laughs> so honestly though, you know, Dr. Lombardi, um, when you came out, obviously you had options. You had trained with both Dr. Mallory and Dr. Eng. Um, you decided to come back to the Columbus area to, uh, join JIS and, um, I mean, 36 years now in practice going on close to 40. Um, what do you think if you were talking to either a younger orthopedic surgeon or maybe somebody that's in their mid career, that's been in a hospital employed model, that's maybe frustrated with that. What would you say are the top three keys to being successful in private practice? Well, you know, I, I, I say there are three things that you as a physician need to do for your practice to thrive. And this may be a cliche to many of you, but when I said to Dr. Mallory after my first year of practice there, I was, I was flabbergasted. Here I was, first year of practice, doing almost 500 total joints. That's a big volume back in the day of 86, right? Um, and, I'm, and I looked at him and I said, Dr. Mallory, how do we know the patients will be there next year? Because that's the biggest concern you have. Will I have the patients? So you have to evaluate each opportunity you are looking at to see what is their patient profile, how are they attracting their patients, and uh, you know how busy are all the partners. And so when Maori looked at me, he said, Adolf, you take good care of patients. He also said this to me, which is very important. He said, you can be one of two types of surgeons and have one of two types of practice. You can be a low-volume surgeon, surround yourself with just a few people. And you won't need a large staff. You can do a low-volume surgery. Or you can be a high-volume surgeon and surround yourself with a larger staff because you are the surgeon. You can do everything from, you know, clean the floors, set the, set the stage, do whatever it is you want to do to the operation, which is key and vital, right? So if you take good care of your patients, your patients become your spokesperson. In office today, I can't tell you every patient, not every, but 99% of them said something about the person who sent them. I have a practice that's grown on patient referral, not physician referral. So if you are an interactive personality, I mean, I laughed, I joked with my patients today. I hugged some patients today. Uh, I mean, I think that is sets up the first premise, take good care of your patients. The second point is research. Research is key. And I'm not talking about going out and doing, you know, uh, experimental. I'm talking clinical research. I'm talking about knowing how well you're taking care of your patients. I'm talking about you assessing um, how the patients are doing, what your results are, what techniques you're using. It's paramount that we do what is state of the art, that we base our care and treatment on current medical recommendations, not just on the surgical part, part perspective, but also on the medical perspective. And then I think the final thing that Mallory taught me was education. And we educate on multiple levels, right? We educate the patient, the family. We educate our colleagues around us, be they residents or just be they our partners. Uh, and then we go out and we educate in multiple educational forums. So those are the three basic tenets of establishing a good practice. But that also means you have to surround yourself with people who help you do what you need to get done. Remember, you're the surgeon, 
You need to be on top of everything that's happening, but you need to have sophisticated people who can run the business and help you run the business because it is a business and you have to make business decisions. You know, if you are all of a sudden incorporating something into your practice that has very soft data and isn't really getting you the next level and you're losing money on it, uh, it doesn't make a difference if you do more. The more you do, the more you lose. So that's not, that. just doing volume doesn't help. And so I, I look at everything you try to incorporate in your practice and make sure before you do that, you see what is the benefit to my patient? What's the value proposition to my, my practice? You know, in my practice, I am responsible for the livelihood of many individuals, right? Everyone who's on our, that JIS team is dependent on me and my colleagues bringing in the surgical volume, seeing the patients to create the uh, the finances to keep everyone's uh, you know paychecks coming, right? And so we not only have a responsibility to our patients, we have a responsibility to ourselves and our staff. And I think if you try to surround yourself with good people, private practice makes sense. Now, I think it's also, as you're evaluating that this world of private practice, look at e- these practices you're perhaps contemplating joining and, and try to decide in your mind, what is it that they're doing that is keeping them getting patients and being financially productive? And there are many ways we can do that, even in a joint replacement program, you know, uh, we always used to say, well, we don't have the ancillaries. You know, our sports colleagues have a lot of ancillaries. Well, you know, one of the things that I see is that we do have ancillaries. Um, And I started uh, back, uh, you know, I started practice in 1986. I worked with Dr. Mallory uh, and we chatted all the time about perhaps starting an orthopedic hospital. And then I had that idea that, you know, this is time. You know, here I was, it was around uh, 2000, our volume was was growing, and we were bringing patients to a a hospital downtown. And so I went to our administrator and I said, you know, uh, it is time for us to consider building an orthopedic specialty hospital. And I had some reasons and I outlined them with him. And he said, well, go ahead and give me some ideas. And so I put together a limited liability company. I had 40 surgeons join. And, you know, we presented this to our CEO. We had plans. We had picked a CEO, a CNO, a CFO, an architect. Uh, but they didn't want any parts of a doctor owning a hospital. So, you know, we turned out and, and said, you know, we're going to do this. They did some economic credentialing. I lost in that process a number of my partners, left 27 docs, and then ultimately in 2003, we opened our own hospital. So this was a way for me to ex- expand on my uh, office business, as you will, and also uh, look at how I could specialize the care and treatment of the orthopedic patient. And, you know, and then in 2007, so I, I, laws changed and we had to sell. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point um, that you bring up because ancillary um, a lot of people are like, well, how, how do we even survive? Because Medicare is continuing to, CMS is continuing to reduce our reimbursements. Our cost of uh, doing business, our overhead is increasing every single year. Um, so what are those creative ways? And, and you hit the nail on the head, whether it was 
when you started you knew Albany Surgical Hospital, um, I was fortunate enough to um, be able to join a surgical hospital uh, 2020. So three years ago, three and a half years ago now, um, you know, here in Pennsylvania, but you're right. I mean, when, when the Obamacare act kind of came in and they put the moratorium on that, um, it, it, it created a lot of chaos. And I think the ASC world started opening up and that's where I know you can speak to the white fence piece of things, but um, that was another huge ancillary source of, of revenue for physicians. Well, yeah, that was a big move for us. You know, once we sold to a healthcare system, we continued in a management uh, association. And that's something uh, that you can do in any hospital situation. You can start a co-management program where you uh, are co-managing with the hospital, their joint surface, spine service, whatever it is, or their entire orthopedic profile. And there are people out there who can help you establish those co-management agreements uh, and then you can also partner in a surgery center. And we did that in 2013. We started White Fence Surgical Suites. We now have two other surgery centers. And, and so when we brought in younger partners, we realized that it would be expensive for them to buy into White Fence Surgical Suites. So we started yet another surgery center only about five miles away so that the younger partners could get a piece of the pie and keep going. Uh, and so I think that looking at various opportunities uh, they're there. So I think private practice is not dead. It's just being creative and looking at all the options that come to you. Uh, this past weekend, I was in uh, uh, Orlando at current concert joint replacement, and I was introduced to a, a company that has a wound care program post-op, um, you know, that might be something we'll look into. I was introduced to another company that has a... Um, a cycle type machine machine to help with post-op, you know, progress of our patients. Now, I don't think you go and look willy-nilly at all these different opportunities just because of the almighty dollar. I think, as I said, start with the basics, take good care of your patients, do your research and educate. And if you see value in those opportunities and they bring value to you, your practice, that's where the marriage happens. And that's what keeps you going. So always have an open mind. Don't close your mind. Don't think that you know, there's no way, new ways. I always look at every new opportunity, evaluate it at face value, see what I can do to make it work for me and my practice. And if it's purely, you know, not going to help my patients, purely just a money grab, that's not what I'm that's not what I'm saying. Please don't misinterpret me. I'm just saying be a good steward of your practice and make sure you look at every opportunity. And if it's taking good, better care of your patients and giving better results, then your patients will be happy. And that increases your bottom line because you'll see more people. Amen. So, yeah, I mean, so Dr. Lombardi, one of the things I think about and, you know, one of the questions that I had for you kind of coming into this and you kind of uh, have answered it, you know, to a degree. But, you know, in terms of like where you've come from, like your mentors, right, because it sounds like you are a mentor to you know, I mean, obviously, Dr. Molly, you know, is one of your fellows. And, you know, there's a number of them, you know, that I've met over the years. And Dr. Ferndeck, I mean, it's crazy to think all of these guys that have gone through the fellowship program over the years, right? I mean, several yeah. decades of, of you kind of mentoring people. But for you, and I, you've kind of mentioned some of them, though, right? I mean, just, you know, your mentors and kind of how you get to this place and how you, and again, I think you've answered it, but how you vet some of those things and how you get to a place where, 
you stay in private practice. And was that something that was instilled in you by a lot of those guys or, you know, like how did that path go? Well, you know, I had, uh, to be honest with you, a little firsthand experience uh, of what it was like not to be in private practice. My mentor, Tom Mallory, decided that, um, you know, he wanted to give back to university where he trained and he was going to go ahead and he was going to uh, uh, become, become chair at Ohio State. And I quickly, in talking to him, saw what his ambitions were and uh, how he uh, wanted to do this. Um, and, you know, he started, everything was gung-ho. And guess what? Six to nine months in, the dean changed. And life changed. And and there's a perfect, um, you know, segue into the fact that you control your destiny if you're in private practice. You know, you decide what's right, what's wrong. There isn't another party that comes in and says, oh, Ryan, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's no longer in my vision. So we're not going to be doing that X, Y, Z anymore. You know, I don't want somebody coming in there and telling me that. I want to be able with my partners to make what's the best decision for our practice. You know, I'll tell you another thing, you know, it was a few years ago, you know, we looked at uh, venture capital uh, and we, my younger partners made the assessment. They brought me in for a couple meetings um, and we elected to go and do this. Um, And initially I'll be honest, I was a little skeptical. I mean, I thought it was a good deal for me, but I was wondering how good of a deal would be for my partners. Um, But it's turned out that there are power in numbers, right? And so here we are now, my colleagues right across the street in a different practice group are now my partners. And we are now making collective headway in capitalizing on Central Ohio in what we now call Ortho Alliance, for example, we have started, uh, we have taken all of our DME, of all the groups, we've put them into one lot, and we are now working, we've taken what's good from one practice, the other practice, put it all together, have one director, and so there's a big pot now of DME that, you know, I wasn't sharing in, and others weren't sharing in, and we're all sharing that collectively. We've opened up two physical therapy uh, departments in outskirts of Ohio, owned by the Collective Ortho Alliance Group. Um, so I don't have to worry. When my patient you know, comes from that small town in a certain area of Ohio, I now have an Orthopedic Alliance physical therapy group that I share in that revenue. So, so it has become very strategic joining this, uh, this group. Uh, you know, and they have been very responsive to our needs all across the board. Um, and we are now working with one medical record system, uh, so there, and we're working with one HR group. So there, there is a little better, uh, you know, uh, finances because of the fact that we've taken the the pool, put them together, uh, and I, I do think uh, that you know it all depends. You got to look at these 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 offers and analyze them, uh, and 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 you know evaluate them. Uh, but I'm still in control. I mean, I have uh, I have the Ortho Alliance overhead over over me, but they're still coming to me and and my group and finding out what it is we need, and we still have our own administrator intact in our in house. So it's a way I think uh, for private practice to thrive uh, with uh, 
you know, with numbers uh, that are going to produce uh, financial reward. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a huge wave. Um, we've seen it in the ophthalmology world. We've seen it in the urology world. Yep. And orthopedics is definitely, uh, over the past five years, the the biggest um, on the market and, the and, you know, the uh, industry is heading that direction. So, Dr. Lombardi, you, you've roughly 40 years, right? You've been an orthopedic surgeon. Yes. Private practice pretty much the entire time other than that initial um, thing with Dr. Mallory. What would you say you've seen change the most in that 40 years? And what do you see are the current biggest obstacles to private practice? And not only the obstacles, but solutions. And I know private equity is a, a potential solution, you know, strength in numbers. But are there any other things that you've found, whether it's ASCs, kind of the secret sauce to uh, these other young or mid-level orthopedic surgeons looking to maybe make that transition to private practice? Well, I think if you're going to make the transition to private practice, you have to come with a commitment and you have to come with a passion. Um, and you, and, and, and you're going to, it's going to take a little time and an effort. So it, it's, it's may, may be easy to sit back and, uh, count your RVUs and collect your paycheck, uh, you know, in that five o'clock leave. Uh, but that's not what private practice is. It's going to take a little more time, a little more effort, um, to get it to where you're very comfortable, but you know, you're not telling somebody that, uh, Oh, I, I, I can't take off because I've already used X number of days. You know, I, I go to the meetings I want to go to. I go to, I take the time off. I want to take off. Uh, and all my partners do the same. Uh, so I think that flexibility comes with no other, uh, practice that I'm aware of. So if you want to come, if you join a practice, you're a go-getter, you're energetic, um, then I think you're going to be successful. Uh, you know, I'm looking for a, a new partner, interviewed a few people, and it was refreshing for me to hear one or two of the people that we interviewed, um, you know, not wanting to shy away from numbers, surgery, being around, doing the work. That's, that's what's going to be your success, passion and commitment. You know, before we go on, I know Travis, it's another question here, but one of the most important lessons that you taught me when I was a fellow and um, I try to teach anyone that I'm around, whether they're my staff, my teammates, you know, colleagues is just leading by example. And I can specifically say um, you, you know, not only walk the walk or talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And um, one thing that you taught me is you told me one day, you're like, Ryan, you can never sit back and bitch and complain and moan about something not moving or being as efficient as you would like it to be if you're not doing something to help create the solution for that. And I watched you. You grabbed a mop. You went into that room and you mopped the floor. You were helping to change sheets on the bed. You were helping to transfer patients from you know the, the, the gurney over to the operating room table. So um, I encourage young physicians, don't think that any task is beneath your pay grade. Right. Especially if you're you're trying to be efficient, um, you, you need to build morale. You need to build build camaraderie and a team around you and doing those what may seem like menial tasks, but they literally are. If people see you grabbing that mop and doing those things, you're going to win on so many different levels. And uh, Dr. Lombardi, I just want to personally thank you for for that lesson that you taught me. No, I think it's that's it's very true. I do do that. I do try to, uh, you know rally my troops, if you will, and make sure everyone is around me. And 
you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, another key to success is efficiency. And you, um, in the OR, you're going to build efficiency by by repetition and by giving the, the, the tech that's across from you, your PA, they have to have specific tasks in the operation. You as a surgeon don't need to do everything. They can grab a coker, they can grab a pituitary, a rangeur, you know, they can help you get the operation done. If you stay focused on what you're doing and not move your eyes, and Bob Boo said this in a great talk, every time you realign your vision, you have to re-register. Now, when you're young, it happens quicker than when you get older, uh, but it's always trying to keep your eye on the target and putting your hand out in the correct instrument is handed to you in the correct fashion. And I'll tell you, that comes from, you know, doing things the same way. And so I would encourage you as you start practice, if you're doing total joints, pick a vendor. Don't try to do somebody's hip and somebody's this, and then, oh, I'm going to bring in that. You know, pick somebody who's going to be able to help you. And then when you get that rep, you know, on your side, he'll, you know, he'll be around to make sure that the surgery's coming up. Everything is there. You'll be there that, you know, before you get there. Um, and that's also a way you're going to build, you know, perhaps a uh, an association with industry, which I've been very effective at doing. Um, you know, I do have a patent, patents, et cetera, but just a, you know, even a, maybe a, a simple consulting arrangement. If you're there doing that product and you're giving them back input and feedback, they're going to see who the, who, who the star players are and who can be involved and who can help them, uh, you know, teach the safe and effective use of their products. And that might be you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny hearing you guys kind of talk in this conversation as it, you know, kind of evolves is like value proposition. Dr. Lombardi, I've heard you say that a couple of times with value proposition with patients and value proposition in the practice. And we talk about value proposition every day, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's kind of, that's how I started, right? I mean, I was a sales rep when I, I mean, this is going back to 2011, so, I mean, I was in the Columbus area. I mean, I was more spinal orthopedic bracing, so not necessarily in your world, but I remember, I mean, the Cardinal Health, the Ortho Ones, I mean, before, you know, all this stuff, I mean, JS and Dr. Lombardi, I mean, it was like a big, big thing when I was in the area. Like, these are kind of the key players. And, you know, to anybody, I mean, especially like healthcare entrepreneurs, whether you're a physician, you're a mid-level provider, you're, you know, like Dr. Lombardi said, a sales rep, whatever it might be, um, manufacturers. I mean, I've kind of made a career of being a value add person, whether that means I'm getting compensated or not. I mean, that really at the end of the day is not what it's about, right? It's like, if I could be a resource and you can provide value to what I'm doing regardless, right? And I've heard you guys at that level being the physicians and kind of the the top dogs, right? I mean, in terms of like surgeons, you guys are wanting to provide value. It's just like the team around you to want to provide that value and be that value add because they see that's what you're doing every day. I mean, it really makes a huge difference. I mean, it does. I've seen it over the last, I mean, decade of doing sales and now kind of transitioning into, you know, kind of doing my own thing. And I think that's how I kind of got to the place that we're at now. But I mean, it's just kind of, it's just kind of nice full circle to kind of hear that value proposition and value add is kind of really, I think how anybody builds anything. Well, I mean, if you're focused on, you know, I'm not getting paid for that. Right. Uh, that's the wrong mentality because I'll tell you what, you do that extra thing 
And, you know, my reps, Chris and Brittany, they're amazing. They'll go in, they'll mop the floors, they'll do this, they'll do that. That's not part of their contract with the implant vendors and, and sure. manufacturers. But when, when people around them see them doing that, they trust them more, they value them more. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I'm looking to them to, to, you know, use them as much as I can, because I know that they're a valuable teammate and they're going to help me out in any jams that I'm in or nowhere in the future. Yeah. Um, so actually Dr. Lombardi I had another quick question for you and, you know, I don't want to, um, get off the track here, but I think kind of in line with what we've been talking about, I mean, I've been reading articles and Becker and, you know, just other journals. And I mean, people talking about just this general idea that, I mean, not even generally just orthopedics, but, you know, I mean, medicine in general, reimbursements continue to get cut and are decline. And, you know, your costs are inevitably always kind of going up. Like, how have you guys, especially in the last three years with COVID and, you know, those sort of challenges, how, what are you guys doing to kind of try to combat that and overcome that? I mean, is it, you know, like you said, your referral patterns and things like that? Or, you know, how have you guys approached that piece of it? Well, you have to be, uh, you have to be creative. Uh, and you have to be uh, partnering with industry. So what are the expenses that are driving uh, our cost up? Well, you know, what we, one of the things we never talk about, we always talk about prices of implants, but what we don't talk about is efficiency. Now, when you're at, at a hospital and, you know, you're sitting around for an hour between cases, that is total inefficiency. If you're in an OR where they're only getting three, four, joint replacements done in a day, that's total inefficiency. So we don't talk about how we, how we have to, uh, as physicians, as the captain of the ship, as Dr. Molly uh, mentioned, we have to be the motivators. We have to come in the morning with the perspective, uh, you know, leave whatever's, you know, causing your grief or behind you, come in motivated, you know, come in as the captain of the ship, come in, you know, encouraging your staff, working with your staff and, that's where I think that, you know, if you do the same thing every day, then there's no angst about, oh, uh, he, I got so-and-so coming today. Well, I really don't like that person and how they deal, you know, that rep, whatever. Then they know who they're dealing with. And then, you know, I'm constantly saying, great job. Thank you so much. Let's move ahead. Hey, uh, you know, uh, can we get the next patient back? And I, so I think that's the number way, the number one way you're going to fight, uh, you know, the lowering of of our reimbursement by being very efficient. Uh, number two is by dealing with industry. I mean, you know, there's a little, uh, you know, profit that, there that can be shaved down a little bit and, uh, and you can bring that cost down. And then you're going to be looking at every item that you order and do, especially if you own the surgery center. Uh, you know, do you really need uh, the Aquamanus on that hip case? Or can you do without it? Uh, sorry to mention any any particular device, but you know I should have said, do you need X, Y, Z uh, on that particular case? Um, you know, and and making sure that it's a definite need. Do you need three saw blades? Can you do it with one? Do you need two units of cement? You know, all the things that you know we may take for granted at the hospital. When it becomes your own pocketbook, you don't. Um, and so I think. Uh, the, the key to success is going to be to increase your efficiency so you can do that extra case to ma perhaps make up the difference. Um, you know, and at some point, 
you may uh, just uh, say no and decide that you're not going to uh, accept government dollars that you're going to, you know, you have a fee. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work for some of you, but uh, you know, for some, it may work well. I, I, I have not done that. I continue to take whatever uh, insurance or the government pays me. Um, but I've been able to make up with the ancillary income we've already discussed, whether it's the facility fees, the DME, the PT, uh, MRI. Now I forgot to mention that where, you know, the, Groups have organized themselves, and we're going to put an MRI unit. Uh, we're not making the, the hospital happy, but, you know, we have to stay alive, and we're going to do it. Did, did you um, ever, at any point in your career, particularly recently, consider maybe not taking the government dollars, saying, I'm not going to take Medicare anymore? Well, I've considered it, uh, but then, uh, you know, um, one of my partners has done that, and the other day, uh, uh, you know, a patient came in, and she said, you're not going to charge me extra money, are you? Because I really can't afford it. And I guess at this stage of my career, um, you know, I decided not to do that. Uh, but it may be uh, something that when you get 25 years in, uh, you know, maybe more of us will do that. Because uh, I do feel that um, our patients are getting a, a good um, operation for a very low fee to the surgeons. And, you know, obviously we can't... Uh, you know, incorporate our, all of ourselves and, um, you know, form a union or something like that. But uh, thankful, thankfully, we've got uh, AOS and AUKUS on our side, uh, passing that message on uh, that this is not fair and that we are doing a great job. And, you know, I remind my patients occasionally when they ask me about stem cells and I said, well, yeah, go and have those stem cells for $5,000 and, and it'll be unsuccessful. <laughs> You'll come to me. And Medicare will pay me all of about eleven hundred dollars to do your hip and knee. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. They they have no idea, right? right? And and that operation that you do that has hundreds of steps in it versus sticking a needle in someone's knee and, right. and injecting a bunch of stem cells. But um, do you have t time for a couple of fun questions? Sure. So um, we've got Christmas coming up. Yeah. All right. So I know that. Um, I was joking with Travis. He goes, is he going to be at home or is he going to be in the office when he's recording this? I said, well, it's 630. He's probably going to still be in the office. I remember when I was a fellow and I was like, you don't leave the office until Dr. Lombardi leaves the office. Right? <laughs> and, and and that was a tough task because you're you're so committed. But, you know, Christmas coming up. I know you've got some grandbabies around and, yes, and things like that. But can you give me your give me your top five um, Christmas movies that you enjoy? <laughs> I really don't watch much of movies, uh, so I, I really can't tell you. <laughs> I was just oh, going to ask him, like, do you watch on. movies? <laughs> Not really. All right. How about uh, some some good family traditions that you do, you guys do around the holidays? Well, I mean, it's, you know, we set up that uh, uh, Christmas Eve is always uh, 4 o'clock uh, mass, followed by grandma making dinner uh, and all the all the grandchildren and children here. And then we get up Christmas Day and open presents, and then we take off for Florida. So uh, we'll be leaving for Florida the day after Christmas, and that's where I really enjoy spending time with uh, my family and and friends, and uh, you know, and, and and getting away a little bit. So I never so being a fellow Pazano, I've never operated do you, do you between do the seven fishes? Uh, Christmas and New Year's, and I'm not doing that this year either. I've taken the, the week off between Christmas and New Year's for, I think, ever since I've been in practice. But do you do the seven fishes for your Christmas Eve? 
No, we uh, we actually do a uh, beef roast, actually. Oh, okay. Nice. We we usually do the roast for uh, Christmas Day, but Trav, any no, fun questions? Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, I think I was kind of hoping for... Uh, I was, can I, I, can was, I tell a quick story? I was hoping for the Grinch or something. I do have a funny question for Dr. Lombardi, though. What's well, that? let me ask my... Okay. Or, you, you ask your question, okay. and then I'm going to okay. tell my funny story. Okay. Well, Dr. Lombardi, all right, this is kind of funny, right? So Dr. Molly sent me your resume, your CV. Yes. And uh, oh, God. after I got through like really page ask this? 300, it, it's incredible. I mean, all the things that you've done and things that you're a part of. And as I was scrolling through something, I was saw, I asked Dr. Molly, I said, is Dr. Lombardi, is, is he a knight? Was he knighted or something? I was reading something in there. I'm like, is he an actual knight? I, maybe I was reading it wrong, but I just, I had to ask because of the 266 pages that stuck out to me. So yes. Uh, that is true. Uh, in the Catholic Church, there are uh, uh, the Knights of the Holy Sepulcher. And our mission mm -hmm. is uh, to provide funds uh, to maintain uh, the uh, many of the structures in Jerusalem uh, where, uh, you know, Christ walked. Uh, so I think, um, uh, you know, that's uh, that's our mission. And we also do some local missionary work. So... Uh, it was one of the things I got invited to become a member of, and um, the bishop knighted me. <laughs> I love uh, it. I was going to say, if someone ever offers me to become a knight, you can't turn that down. No. So. Yeah, no, that's kind of an awkward thing. No, that's really cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I just, All I, right. I told well, him. I was thanks like, for the question. Is that going to be weird if I ask that? All I right. had to know. I had to know. got anything else? What are we doing? I got I got one funny story. Yes, sir. Um, and then we'll, we'll conclude here. So... You brought up CCJR. I don't know if we're going to remember this or not, but um, this was Vegas. Um, I think I was either a fellow or it was the year after I finished my fellowship. Yes. And, um, you know, we were hanging out. We're having a couple cocktails. And my best friend from high school, who's a real estate attorney in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Jared Oaks, he was there for a real estate meeting. And I he was staying somewhere. And, and I said, hey, you know, come on over. We're having a cocktail here, and I'd really, really like for you to meet Dr. Lombardi. So um, Jared came over, and I made the introduction. Do you remember any of this? I think I do, but go ahead. Yeah. So it, it, you asked Jared, you're like, hey, would you like a drink? And he goes, sure. And he, and he, you said, well, what would you like to drink? And he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll have whatever you're having. So you ordered him a, a scotch, and... And Jared had this all pre-planned in his head. He did not tell me about this at all. And he takes his drink and he, um, you know, we, we do our cheers and everything like that. And he takes a drink and he goes, because God, he goes, what is this shit? And um, you go, well, it's, it's McCallum 18. He goes, oh, figures. He goes, and he sets it down. He goes, I don't drink anything, you know, younger than McCallum 25. And I'm like, I'm mortified because I'm like introducing him to you. And, and then he goes, I'm just messing with you. It's amazing. <laughs> but the look on your face. And I was like, oh, my God, Jared, I can't believe you're doing this. But, well, you know, Dr. Lombardi, I just want to thank you for, um, you know, taking the time this evening to, to do this, especially episode one. This is very, very meaningful to me. I know it's meaningful to Travis. Um, and hopefully this is going to be a good kickoff for future podcasts, but you are a, a local legend, a um, global legend. And um, I know I've thanked you before, but I want to thank you personally for everything that you've done for me. Um, I know Phil Frendak is extremely um, 
thankful as well for for all the knowledge and everything that both you and Dr. Mallory kind of instilled in him. And um, I know he wishes his, uh, you know, very Merry Christmas and, and holiday wishes to you and your your lovely family as well. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Travis. I'll say this, Ryan. Thanks, Dr. Lombardi. You know, um, having fellows around has been one of the best parts of my practice because uh, young ladies and men that are interested in what I do and, and and they listen to you and they learn from you and you learn from them uh, and they keep you fresh, they keep you young uh, and they always are great to have. Uh, I did fellowship interviews today and I had a good time with those two fellows just seeing patients and challenging them how they would do things and just making them think. And uh, hopefully uh, I can continue to do that. Uh, and uh, I feel great. I love what I do. Uh, I've never worked a day in my life. That's how happy I am. Well, I love that. Again, Merry Christmas to Merry you, your entire family. Go enjoy those grandbabies. All the best to all of uh, everyone. Merry Christmas. Safe travels to Florida. It. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Dr. Lombardi. Appreciate it. Take care, boss. Have a good one. Bye now. Thank you, Dr. Lombardi, for joining Dr. Molly and I on the Red Carpet Healthcare Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, for anyone that picked up on the glass that he had, we had sent him over a bottle of a uh, 12-year Macallan, the Sherry Oak Cask, which uh, I thought was a nice touch. I thought yeah, he'd so enjoy that. Anyone out there that may want to become a guest, realize that there are some advantages. There's a gift or... No, a gift, not or two. There's a gift. <laughs> don't one don't gift. make this multiple one. <laughs> one gift. One but gift. yeah, so we we always like to maybe share in a cocktail or something like that while we're doing something like this. So he was drinking the uh, McAllen yeah. Twelve. You what, said cherry cask. Yeah, that's what he likes. Yeah. So actually, so just a shout out to a partner of ours that I really appreciate, Scott Smith, Columbus guy. Columbus we guy mentioned that while Doctor yeah. Lombardi was on. I know he definitely knows. Obviously, Scott. So Scott Smith, Maxtown Medical. Um, Good friend of both uh, Dr. Molly and I's um, partner in various things. But um, we were thinking, how are we going to get this bottle over there, right? And the drone was broken. So uh, Yeah, we were like, can we Uber it? Can yeah, we I was making phone calls. And apparently buying alcohol over the phone and having it sent to somebody is not. That's a business idea. Well, don't say it in front of everybody. Uber after. booze. No, um, and I called Scott. Obviously, first thing he did, I... Uh, just uh, said, hey, here's what I need, and here's where I need you to take it. And just like that, it was there within like an hour. <laughs> Show so, what we're drinking. Yeah, so one of my favorites, Buffalo Trace. Nice little bourbon. May or may not have had a bottle of wine that tasted like quarters before we started. but <laughs> Quarters? <laughs> not very good. Maybe pennies. but Pennies. Pennies, quarters, all the same. So Buffalo Trace, one of my favorite bourbon. I'm a bourbon guy through and through. Um I know that you have, will partake in it, um, especially in the wintertime yeah. when it's cold. It just, just so we got good. we got a nice little fireplace, which you guys can't see. So good going on over here, but um, and our did you win these or did, yeah yeah for the no actually this I bought these okay you bought these yeah so, so our nice Kakwa shout we're out both Kakwa members shout out Kakwa we're gonna say I, I won them it should have been part of the winning definitely thing, right yeah if any of those guys see this they should I mean. Shoe-wise, you know, we forgot to ask Dr. Lombardi what he was wearing, but I guarantee it was some type of alligator shoe. 100%. Uh, he had a, a pretty oh, that badass suit. suit that right? suit was amazing. I mean, all of them are. They're all custom. But what are you wearing there? So, Jordan 3, reimagined. This is the um, Jordan 3 silhouette colorway from 88. 
So, I mean, this is the OG. It's kind of probably hard to see, but no, it's got those. the original those are slam dunk Nike championship Nike on, Nike on the back, uh, not the Jumpman. So, these are a retro version, not the original version, because they would probably crumble when I walked on them from 88. But I don't know if you can see. So, for me, like a part of the detail, I can choose. So, I'm going to take it off. It's kind of weird, but I want to show this to you. So, um, the thing that I really love about this last kind of season of these shoes are so you see how it's like yellowed yeah they did that on purpose to make it look like it was like a little older, older than it was yeah. yeah so they did that with the one and a few others and um i've been very fortunate to uh get a lot of the shoes that i like so i'm wearing the jordan 3 reimagined by the way the ones that you sent me today which are similar to these exactly. these are the uh jordan 11 um bread, bread lows yeah. so i have the bread uh, mids actually Trav, no. you got those for me those are yeah the highs, are they yeah. highs yeah so do you remember that yeah you got all of us that <laughs> the myself family. the three boys and maverick and me yeah and i don't think any of maybe luca could fit into anthony's version because it was about that age but um regardless i'm always a low guy uh the highs and the mids cut into my ankles a little too much but these are nice um and then we we got the the pair that you were showing me today, which oh, are man, the Space Jam lows. Yeah, they might be the most anticipated shoe next year. I mean, they're already talking about summer twenty twenty four. Yeah, so so don't worry. look out for those. But um, you know, just in conclusion, you know, how do you get in touch with us and uh, what's coming up in the future? So we, you know, highly highly suggest and recommend and encourage. People to comment, make suggestions. Hey, who do you want to see? What topics do you want to have discussed? Um, if you have any guests in mind that you'd like, or um, I actually had a healthcare attorney that's going to be joining us here probably in February. Uh, she reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'd love to be a guest." And so that's what we're looking for. So um, if you if you know of somebody, or if you yourself are in the healthcare industry and you have a, a particular passion about private practice, and you know just how to make that happen. We'd love to, you know, have those discussions and conversations yeah, with you. Certainly. No, I mean, you know, if there's one thing I could say, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of that is, you know, there's another podcast that you started, Hey Sawbones, you know, and it's uh, my passion, my experience. And, you know, one of the my things, story, my passion, my story, my passion. So, yeah. but my, in, in terms of like the experience thing is for you and me, this isn't necessarily, you know, we're not necessarily the resident experts on all things that we're talking about, but these are our experiences, right? And so yeah. these are the things that we've done, um, the things that have worked, maybe the things that haven't worked. And so I think this is just going to be a really good platform for us to invite others that are like-minded and entrepreneurial to, you know, just kind of open the floor to have the dialogue and kind of share some of that stuff. And uh, I'm just excited to see where this goes. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get in touch with us, we have a lot of good resources. Obviously, we're both on LinkedIn. You yep. can look us up individually on that. Um, you can look at our website, redcarpetortho.com. Uh, yep. And uh, if you want to email us, you can always get in touch with me at Dr. Ryan Molly at redcarpetortho.com. Or you can get a hold of me um, at T Bazell, B U Z Z E L L, at redcarpetortho.com. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, want to wish everybody Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas uh, you guys, guys will be seeing this mid January, so it'll be coming on. But, um, you know, I want to again thank Dr. Lombardi for absolutely for his time and um, his candor and just his experience. And um, you know, it's going to be a fun project. Look, really yeah, looking no. forward to it. And, and you know what? 
Hey, Sawbones is a lot of fun, but this is going to be a lot of fun as well, especially since I'm doing it with somebody that yeah. I love and respect and I get to sit next to somebody. It's like, you know, Troy Aikman and, and Joe Buck sitting up there and commentating on games. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're Troy Buck, right? No, I'm Troy Aikman. <laughs> I, I've won Super Bowls. You haven't. So that's fine, though. You know. Troy Buck is older, right? Probably. <laughs> Do you say Troy Buck? You just combine the two? I think you just did. Anyways. <laughs> Have a good evening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon. Thanks, dude.